Well, it wouldn't be Game of Thrones if it wasn't a little uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> Welcome back to our six or seven listeners. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder if they're the same people. <laughs> uh, surely they are. I don't think we've picked up any listeners in the last two years. So we're doing this House of the Dragon thing. I have read Fire and Blood, the book that it is based on. My co-host here has not. But it's a different kind of book than the original Game of Thrones books, A Song of Ice and Fire. It's told as a history book with conflicting narratives, and most of the characters are not really fleshed out. So it's very broad strokes. So there's a lot of room in this show for me to not be able to predict things or not know what's happening. But the larger story, I know how a lot of it is going to go, and I will not spoil anything through this podcast. Or at least not anything important on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we, we decided to do this on purpose when we knew that there was going to be this show that you would read it and I would not to see if we would have maybe significant differences in our reaction to things. Well, I think it was a pretty effective setup episode for the series going forward. They got most of the characters in place, introduced us to some major major themes and names, and uh, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was solid. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I caught myself thinking this quite a lot during it, where I'm reserved, and I think a lot of that is the backlash of how poorly the series of the original Game of Thrones ended, and George R. R. Martin's continued negligence to finish that series. And, and the reason why I state all that is my investment has changed quite a bit to the point where I've learned to not care even if he never even finishes the series. So I've learned to create this distance with a lot of this world. I could feel at the beginning of being like, eh, all right, we're going to watch this. Let's do this. But then as the episode was going, I was like, all right, yeah, this is pretty good. And it's starting to draw me in a little bit. I just, that need to, for self-preservation because of some of these things of how hard we got hit in the past, both with like the last series of it starting off so good and then kind of ending the way it did. It's unfair to this series because you can't come into it completely blind the way you would any other show. There's already so much going into it that you have these high expectations. But with all that said, it was pretty good. Right. I get what you're saying. Yeah, Game of Thrones kind of lost our trust. We started podcasting right when it started getting bad. (laughs) (laughs) Season six, seven, and eight. You know, this is this has different showrunners, and I think they can see where it messed up. And also, this book series is actually completed. Or this, it's a single book, but the ink is dry, as they say in the show. So there's some safety here Right, for us. yeah, as long as they don't deviate too much. Well, and, and you said that, I, I believe one of the people behind the show, the showrunners, is one of the best directors from the Game of Thrones series. Like some of our favorite episodes were directed by him. Yeah, they had Miguel Sapotnik, or whatever his name is, uh, direct this first episode. And more importantly, they had Ramid Jurati, or however you say his name, be the music guy again which he was solid for all eight seasons of the last series. Um, the story's there. They already got the good directors and the good music guy. So I'm optimistic. It definitely is bringing in a lot of the intrigue and deceit. Uh, it truly is a Game of Thrones. This is just Targaryen style now. Instead of a bunch of houses, which you get a little bit of the houses at play here, but you're getting the whole feel of you know the spokes and the wheel and all of that. And I really got the feel of the Game of Thrones in just this one episode. But it's all the Targaryens. Right, yeah. In the original show, the Targaryens was like my least favorite house. And this one, even in the introduction, all we got was the dragons. And then the show, they mentioned Baratheon a couple times and mentioned Stark once. No Lannisters. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is, a, this is a Targaryen show. 
and a couple side characters that we'll talk about. And this was, uh, they did a lot here, a lot more than the original first episode of Game of Thrones. I was wondering how they would start it. I, f- I figured they would start it with the Great Council because I, I read the book, but there's chapters and chapters and chapters before this part of the book starts. So I was wondering how they were going to lead into it. They gave like a little kind of Star Wars thing, like a little explanatory of what's going on. And I think they had to do that because there's just so much. And even though I've read the book, watched all the other shows, read the original books and that big ass book, The the World of Ice and Fire, (laughs) I'm still having trouble with the names. (laughs) Yeah, I mentioned that to you at one point. It's going to be hard to remember all these names at first. And I mean, that's what the Game of Thrones series is like, is you kind of come into it and slowly gain attraction of who's who and from what house and well i guess we'll do it in chronological order if uh if any of our listeners would rather us do it a different way <laughs> like the good the bad or the ugly or uh chronological or this uh house or that house or, you know whatever give us some feedback yeah send a carrier pigeon but yeah chronologically so like i said it started with the jahara's named his heir which was viserys and then it jumped nine years in the future. Viserys seems a pretty reasonable king. And Damon um, is an interesting character. Yeah, he's got a Jamie Lannister kind of confidence and composure to him. At least that's what it felt a little bit like to me. How did you interpret him as like um, a good guy, bad guy, somebody who they're going to have an arc like Jamie? What was your, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, mm-hmm. if it follows in true tradition a lot of these characters are going to be very multi-dimensional. So right now we're getting our first dimension of them. And if we go back to the Game of Thrones series, you know, Jamie Lannister, your first dimension is just what a dick he is. Over the course of the series, he has quite an arc and there is a lot of depth. And so I can't help but think that. But even with some other characters where they appear weak or like they don't have as much to offer, I, I remember thinking... The Hightower guy who's the Hand of the King right now, he reminded me of Littlefinger, where he comes off kind of saying this stuff and that you think he's he's in this way. But then there's a scene where he's talking to the king at the, the table and he's talking about, uh, you know, you can't trust Damon, this isn't good. But then literally within, you know, a few minutes in the next scene, he's sending his daughter. He's playing the Game of Thrones. He's looking out for himself. He's he, It's the very same thing that he's accusing Damon of doing. He's doing it himself. He's just doing it much more covertly here. Um, and he's playing the long game the way Littlefinger does. And so in this sense, you know, we're starting to see some of the different levels of the characters here. So at least in terms of Damon, my guess is there's probably more than meets the eye. Yeah, the Otto Hightower is who you're talking about. And yeah, throughout the episode, I was like, oh, this guy is eminently reasonable and seems like a good guy. But then when he <laughs> sends his daughter, you're like, oh. You In know. her dead mother's clothes. Right, yeah. Put on your clothes, comfort the king. But that actor sold it. <laughs> sold it well because Littlefinger came off as slimy from the beginning. This guy came off as sincere. Well, and... it's funny because my first experience with the guy who's playing Otto Hightower is Spike from Notting Hill. And it's just really funny. <laughs> oh, I, wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't know about that. Yeah, so right away we see that dragons are going to be a big part of this show. First shot was uh, um, the princess riding a dragon. Yeah, you talked about how this show, how it was going to or open and how you were thinking about it. And it did. I was thinking during the episode of how the very first series started. And if I remember correctly, it's been a few years here now, it actually started with the White Walkers. Mm, yeah, it did. So what I will say is they're both kind of starting with these magical elements. 
but we're so used to the dragons now it doesn't feel as magical in this series the way like this notion of white walkers and so that's one thing i'm wondering will this show have that kind of extra fantastical element beyond the dragons or will it really just be the dragons and then the machinations of the court i was surprised that they alluded to the white walkers in this episode and and all that and john snow and yeah i don't i don't think it's going to go any further than that no i think that's just fanfare i didn't think the dragon looked great special effects wise but you can't save their budget for a big battle scene later yeah (laughs) i mean you commented that our tv is getting a little a little long in the tooth, and that, that's true. Our TV's getting a little old. So our maybe TV that was it. A teenager. It didn't look as good as I thought it would. I didn't think it looked as good as the dragons in the end of the last show. But you're right. Maybe they're just saving up their budget for, for the big events. Well, I guess things really take off in this episode when Damon shows up and gets his gold cloaks going. And that's the first of it then? Because I, I asked, is this the beginning of the gold cloaks? Right. Yeah, seemed... that's, that's the way I took it. And with the uh, subtitles on, gold cloaks was in parentheses. So this seems like they named it there. Yeah, the, Damon's going to be um, hes going to be one of those ones. Like, is, is he right? Is his brother weak and all these guys are taking advantage of him? Is it the right thing to do to hammer down on the city to crack down on crime? Or is he just judge, jury, and executioner and, you know, um, shoot from the hip kind of guy? One thing I, I didn't like that I thought was just a little too easy was how he was able to listen in on the council meeting from behind the wall. Yeah. <laughs> that seemed a little lazy and a little... Well, uh, it should have been a little bit more like uh, very style, like little birds or a small hole in the wall or something. Right, but or some accomplice like, that lets him yeah, back there or something. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like, um, uh, Speaking of Damon, though, too, he does have a little bit of that effect where when you have a bunch of soldiers who stand behind you and, and the power that that can have. Um, so they're already talking about in this episode that he's got how many men who are very loyal to him. And Yeah, he seems like a um, man of the people, at least of his soldiers. You know, yeah. he hangs out in the brothels and yeah, the gold cloaks are behind him and, and all of that. But it shows he can be a leader of a large group of men. Reminds me of Mark Anthony in Rome. Or Mark, Mark Anthony. <laughs> Yeah. The same same similar kind of character. Yeah. We also learned that he is in a loveless marriage to the bronze bitch <laughs> of uh, the Vale. So we haven't met her yet, but that's where the king sent him off. Did you feel like there was some sexual tension between him and his sister when he put that necklace on her? That's his cousin. Or sorry, or his no, cousin. It, excuse me, his niece. His niece. Yeah. yeah. Whatever, Targaryens. <laughs> <laughs> Did, did you feel like that was there, or was that just... No, I, I, I do think, and there during the, the tourney, the king was watching how she was watching him, so I do think there's some setup. But I also noticed some tension between Hightower's daughter and uh, the heir apparent here. Is that Damon? No, <laughs> no, the new one, the, the daughter, Rhaenyra's. Oh, Rhaenyra's. Yeah, right. Are they besties, or is there something a little deeper there? Yeah. And she has like a nervous tick peeling off her fingernails or whatever. So I don't know what they're trying to signify with that. But <laughs> Well, it was a very different time then. Like we got to like how we first started this when you were saying, well, a little bit uncomfortable, but they're going to attorney that's meant to be a bunch of games. And then people are just savagely killing each other. So you have to be kind of prepared for that. Right. But it was twice, though. So it showed her picking her nails during the fights, which was like a nervous tick. But then her father referenced it later. Mm-hmm. When he was sending her to the, the king. So maybe it's just nothing. Maybe she's just nervous or maybe she's unstable. I'm, I'm not sure. I would just offer she's anxious. Yeah. 
and then there's this Kristen Cole. Was that his name? Yeah, I remember thinking that sounds so modern for Game of yeah. Thrones. Well, there's this other fellow who's going to be going to be somebody. The Dorn. Right, the guy who defe- defeated Damon. Um, you did ask me during the episode, who do you think will win? And I did pick him. I did know that in advance. Yeah, I knew win. you knew. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he'll be somebody big. Hard, hard to say after just one episode. But, or at least they're looting that he'll be somebody big. Well, and with a show like this, every scene, every second is picked. Because they're always having to weed out something that's not going to make the cut. Like you said, like whatever history book that you have read that I have not. There were tons of chapters leading up to where this episode even started. So for me, whenever I'm watching this, whenever they give anybody, like just first that the uh, Ranieri's and uh, Hightower's daughter were talking about him. And then she asks... Graham McTavish I can't remember his name (laughs) (laughs) I just know him from Outlander there's two Outlander people on this that I caught the bald Um, Kingsguard yes like just the fact that they're talking about him and she's asking hey what do you know about this guy and then he wins the tourney then he defeats Damon and then tries to offer his hand and be just very chivalrous and gallant in, in his winning and so already we're getting a lot of screen time to him so it would be completely like a red herring if if he's nothing right yeah you wouldn't think in an episode that packs so much in that they're going to waste time on on characters that but don't they matter. never waste time yeah well no, well, no. I, I take that all back <laughs> that. don't listen to that they wasted a ton of time in the game of thrones series so since this is just the first episode and it's it's hard to really talk about the story or where it's going anything, uh, I guess we can just kind of judge it. Like, was, was there any obvious things that you liked or disliked about the first episode? I love the music. I really love the, the costumes. You can tell sometimes when a lot of effort goes into a show or a movie. What I really appreciated here was just there's continued uh, level of detail for the way that they do their hair or not an abundance of makeup or... At least where it's not super obvious, except for times that it's necessary. And I just like that. Like, you you kind of feel like you're being taken into another world here. And there's a lot of attention to detail. I thought it was interesting that the Iron Throne had so many swords. Yeah. And they're already alluding to being cut by it. The same way that the Mad King constantly had scabs and things. And so I felt like there were a lot more swords um, which probably makes sense. Well, they, all the swords are there from the enemies of Aegon when he conquered Westeros. So they're supposed to be, you know, two two thousand or whatever. But they had um, it expand beyond right. the throne. Right. So here. that was that was removed in the original Game of Thrones. Yeah. So I'm glad they put it back in, and you know, yeah, somebody took him out because they got sick of getting sliced. And the king has a slice on his back. That doesn't bode well for the succession. No, um, it was clearly festering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's foreshadowing of some things here, of a small wound that is festering that can turn into like a Khal Drogo kind of thing, um, but also just a metaphor for uh, the, the, wounds that this king has that he's not taking more seriously that can end up being his downfall. So, when, Or the whole theme of the first one, of the dangers of, of sitting on the throne. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. why, why would you want that seat? It kills everybody. And yet that's what everyone is supposedly aspiring to as as uh, Otto said at that that council meeting yeah i mean ultimately if, if this follows a song of ice and fire and a game of thrones really the story the, the larger narrative is about power I, I think about power and about consequences of actions that i thought the original game of thrones was a lot about 
X happened in season one had played out in season five, or at least it was supposed to. So th- those to me seem like the two main things and that, that power not only corrupts, but also uh, can hurt you. That could be what they're alluding to with the, the blade there or the cut there. Well, there's also a lot of chance. And I think that this is something that really stood out for me was the way that they really spoke about how women can have power and what their roles are and their responsibilities. Uh, it was a pretty tough episode just in terms of even if you're queen, you're, you're, you're not really much. You're, you're just a, a vessel to, to give airs. And even when it comes down to it, it, you know, it was a pretty rough scene watching that cesarean section that was yeah that that was really well done the c-section with the fight going on at the same time it was tense throughout it was uncomfortable that's obviously what i was alluding to at the beginning when i said <laughs> you know it wouldn't well, be and, thrones. and and that queen even said to her her daughter you'll be doing this too this is our this is our duty here our, I, I remember she said this is our battlefield which i actually thought was pretty smart I, I feel that's quoting Game of Thrones, though. I'm pretty sure there's a line in one of the books where it talks about women's battlefield is in the yeah. the birthing that's room. Classic G.R.R. Martin type. Yes, writing. it, it yeah. is. And here's the thing: it's historically accurate, so he's he's not wrong with that. It is uncomfortable, though, to be a woman in today's modern age and to just see how women are thought of and used in this way. And, and I guess this episode is trying to push the envelope here in terms of the times because he uh, Viserys names his daughter as heir, but it is kind of difficult to watch how a lot of the women are just so easily discounted or used as part of the plotting of the men around them, whether it's the fathers or the uncles or brothers. And so it's just... Well, it seems like a woman sitting the throne, at least in the previews, is largely what this is going to revolve around, is whether that's that's acceptable or not. Yeah, part of me was like, man, I could just see uh, the uncle and the niece getting married, and true, tar- well, true Targaryen style would be brother-sister, but it's still keeping the bloodlines together and almost in a way makes everybody happy, at least... But who, who ultimately reigns, so there's only one. It's not like they would co-rule. Right. It would seem like an obvious solution when he was putting that necklace on her. It seemed like that was something they were floating out there. It is interesting, though, because Damon, when he's speaking to the king, and he's like, you've never asked me to be your hand, he's kind of alluding a little bit to just have me be here and be behind the scenes. I'm happy to just be here. I maybe necessarily he doesn't have to be front and center. So I wonder if that could be a potential foreshadowing of she does become queen and he becomes her hand. That's what Stannis was pissed about. Robert never asked him to be hand. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you have a troublesome little brother, they often don't want them around. <laughs> <laughs> what um, was other things that you liked, if, if we're continuing on this line of thought or disliked? Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, what about you? Well, I guess one thing I really liked is that they could get away with setting up a lot more into to initial episode because they had eight seasons behind them. So the world yeah. felt familiar. Yeah. They didn't have to explain too much who the Targaryens were or anything like that. So they were able to get the ball rolling a lot faster. I liked that there was a decent amount of tension in the episode. So far, it seems that the casting is going to be solid, which the original show casting was amazing. So it's it looks pretty good to me. There wasn't much that I didn't dislike, except for the two things I already pointed out. Was I didn't think the dragon looked great, and I also thought it was just kind of lazy that Damon could listen in behind the screen. But those are minor quibbles, you know. 
Yeah, I, I like. I don't know where I stand. Like, we, we literally just finished, and we go right into this, so there's no time for us to process, uh, at least for this one. And I don't know how I feel about the brothel scenes. I think that they're probably, to a certain extent, fairly accurate, but they still have a certain... I can tell who the audience is for those, and I'm just kind of curious if it's gonna any brothel we've seen is always gonna be that same thing. That felt very, very familiar from the previous show, and, and that's something Dave and Dan got kind of criticized for, right? So, so doubling down on it, right? That's what I was kind of wondering, like, it. like even when they brought in um, oh, Oberon when he came in, that was a slightly different take on the brothel where. It just felt that had a very different uh, sense to it in, in multiple ways, where this just felt very standard, just throwing Robert Baratheon or whatever is just interchangeable and the exact same thing. Um, and it is curious, though, also the the level of influence that the owner of the brothel had with Damon. Was that the girl that he was having sex with? Or who was the owner? I believe so. Okay. Um, because she was able to offer a lot of alternatives during that one scene. And then I wasn't for sure. So I might be wrong in this. But it, it, But she's somebody that besides just a random... Well, but then she was able to offer him comfort. Yeah. And, and he allowed it. So there's a closeness there. But then I, I wasn't sure if that was the same woman that he was uh, introducing. Or having around his dragon and touching his dragon's face. And so clearly there's some sort of next level relationship there. Yeah, and one other thing that they had in here is another um, person from Valeria, which was Corus Valerian. I don't know if I'm saying it right, the black guy. Um, so that was, we didn't have anything like that in the, the later Game of Thrones, but that's another family from old Valeria. So they came in. Right, they're from the same place as the Targaryens, as I understand it. Okay. And that they have that silvery hair. But they're not Targaryen. They're not Targaryens. Okay. But they're from this the same where... place. <laughs> yeah. They're Valerians. I, you kind of just assume that all the white-haired people in Game of Thrones are are Targaryens. So that's kind of an interesting take of like, no, wait, these are Valerians actually. Which makes you wonder, these people are not in the future. So. Oh, right, right, right. So it makes you wonder what happens. But also what they may or may not do to assist various Targaryens in the process. And I'm curious what happens about the aunt. Uh, or, well, no, I don't know who she is. That <laughs> The woman that it was down to uh, the his, series. His wife. Collis' Collis's wife. Yeah. And those were the two people. Is she a Targaryen? So, yeah. So, he's married to the queen that never was. That sets up, I guess, three potential con- contenders. Should King Viserys bite it? It's, it looks like it's going to be Damon, uh, the princess, and Possibly this person will have some influence, even though her husband, Colas, seems to, at least right now, have some support for Damon. Well, and isn't it interesting that she was supposedly considered as heir, and yet she's not at that table, but her husband is. Yeah. Um, there is a reason for that, though. He's more than just some guy. He is um, <laughs> a very important guy. He's, he's a very important person. He's called a sea snake. He's in charge of the Navy. He okay. controls all the ships. So the Valerians, they're, they're naval people. Like Greyjoy's? Uh, yeah, I forgot about them. I wonder if we'll hear from them. <laughs> Anyways, I guess we can start to wrap it up. It's hard to talk about too much after just one episode, but I, w- I would give it a good solid eight and a half or nine for an opening episode. I, I, w- I was sucked right in. And like you, I was a little bit cautious because the last one ended so bad, but they, they picked it up nicely. 
Yeah, I did not dislike this one. Um, and, you know, <laughs> for a beginning episode, there's so much to set up. So you got to kind of have to hang in there a little bit to see what they're going to do. And they're setting up the chessboard with this one. And for that, I think they did a pretty, pretty solid job. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We will talk to you next week.